Please pray with me. Father, this morning we ask that you would show us the path of life and that you would give us the courage to walk down it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All of us have a happiness equation in our heads, a formula, a recipe of what will make us happy. We may be conscious of it, or it may be unconscious, but it is there. If you were completely honest with yourself, what is in your equation? What are the things that you knew, if you only had them, your life would be happy and complete. I'll show you my equation. If you can't see it, it's okay. I'll walk you through it. So here is my equation. Good friends. Good relationship with family. Rewarding and meaningful work. A certain level of income. Emotional and physical intimacy with the opposite sex. A vibrant relationship with God. Good health. And giving away some portion of my life to the kingdom. I think this is a pretty good equation. Don't you? And you can use it if you want. (laughs) Some of these things are present in my life. And some of them are not. Here's the question I want us to explore today. What does Jesus think of our equations? If he were to write our equation for happiness, what would it look like? What would be the same and what would be different? I think he would take our list and crumple it up and throw it away. We know that none of the things on that list are bad things. They're good things. But God wants to change my orientation from focusing on myself to focusing on him and others. That list is all about me and what will make me happy. It's focused on me. What makes me say that I think Jesus would take our equations and throw them away? Look at John 12, verses 23 through 25. In that passage, a group of Greek people who worshipped Yahweh came to Jerusalem to worship at the Passover festival. And they asked to see Jesus. It's not clear that Jesus physically gives them an audience, but he does honor their request. He sends this message back. He says, if you want to see me and know what I am about, this is who I am. If you want to know what it means to have the life I offer, this is what it means. He starts off by talking about himself. In verse 23, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Then Jesus takes this principle and universally applies it to all when he says in verse 25, 
Those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's a variation on a song that Jesus sings in gospel after gospel after gospel. In Luke 9, he says it this way. Those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will save it. Respected biblical scholar Leon Morris, when he looks at John 12, he says the word, the verb translated there as lose often means destroy. Loving life is a destroying act. Morris says Jesus is saying that anyone who loves their life is destroying it right now. There's a reverse economy at work. Those who think they're building up a good life by keeping it for themselves, instead of actually building it up, are tearing it down. And those who die to the desires of their own lives and give their lives away in service to Jesus are the ones who get back way more than they ever thought they would. A college professor was recently describing to me how they try to instill this truth of Jesus' reverse economy in their students. There's one course he teaches each year, and when he hands out the final tests, he puts a sticker, a star, on the back of one of the tests. And whoever gets that star can do two things with it. They can either use it for themselves and take it to the professor and tell them which question they're having trouble on, and the professor will explain it and give them the correct answer. Or they can give the star to somebody else so that that person can use it. But here's what the class doesn't know. If someone were ever to give the star away to somebody else, the professor would automatically give that person a perfect score on the entire test. So year after year, he's doing this. And he's waiting and waiting and keeping the secret. And nobody is giving it away. But then finally, one year, there was this girl who was doing awful on the test. She knew she was going to fail it. So she thought, I'll give it to someone who has a fighting chance. She gave it away, and the professor was elated. Finally, he could share his joy. The girl got a perfect score, and the secret was out. The professor does that to try and teach, ingrain his students in the reverse economy of Jesus. Because so often we think that we need to protect ourselves and we need to hold on to those stars, the advantages we've been given. And we think that's the only way we'll find life. But like so many students, little do we know that when we freely give our life away in service to Jesus, it comes back ten, a hundredfold. George Mueller was a man who was known as having a vibrant life. In the 1800s, he established more than 100 schools, and he served thousands and thousands and thousands of orphans. And one day, someone asked him, what's the secret to this zest for life you have? And he said, there was a day when I died, died to George Mueller. His opinions, preferences, tastes, and will died to the world.
its approval or censure, died to the approval or blame even of brethren or friends. That snapshot captures what it means to die to ourselves and give our lives away in service to Jesus. But of course, it's one thing to to mentally understand that and quite another thing to walk it out. I told the children at the 9 o'clock service during the children's talk that yesterday I was mean to a friend, did some bad stuff, and had to apologize. And I've learned something about apologizing over the years. I've realized it doesn't get easier, and it's still the right thing. And I thought when I grew up that I would stop doing mean things and would stop having a need to apologize. But it turns out not so much. And that's kind of how I thought it would be with dying to myself. I thought that once I did it, it would be over with and complete and wrapped up, and I wouldn't have to again. But that's not so much the case. And it seems to me that the main question we wrestle with that makes it so hard to die to ourselves is this. If I follow God's ways, will he make sure that everything works out? If I do things his ways, can I trust that he'll work it out? Bob Goff would say that sometimes we get head faked by life. Do you know what a head fake is? In basketball, when I played, one of the easiest ways for me to get an open shot was to stand with the ball right under the basket, and I would just jerk down and then up, as if I was going to shoot, but I wasn't going anywhere. And many times, the person defending me would soar into the air, trying to block a shot that wasn't happening. As they came down, I went up and scored. That's a head fake. And sometimes in life, we're the defender. And we get head faked by these events in life that aren't really going to happen, and they fake us out. We see this a lot in the Gospels. This past Tuesday, during staff devotions, We were reading the story in Mark where Jesus fed 4,000 people. As Johnny was reading that passage, the way he read it, something clicked with me. I saw something fresh. In that story, there's a huge entourage of people traveling with Jesus. They've been hiking with him for three days. They've run out of food. They're not near any cities or any places they can get food. It's time for them to go home, but Jesus knows that if he sends them home without feeding them, many of them will faint on the way. So he gets his disciples together, and he says, Hey, I care about these people, and we need to feed them. How many loaves of bread do we have? And the disciples say, We've got seven. Let's do a freeze frame there. Let's press pause. You've got this impossible situation where about 4,000 people need to be fed, and there's seven loaves of bread. The loaves that I buy at Giant Eagle have 15 slices in them. And I did the math, and if we had seven of those loaves, each of those 4,000 people would get a piece of bread about the size of half of one of our communion wafers that you'll receive today. So you've got this impossible situation, and you and I know the ending of the story. But the disciples did not. All they saw was the uncertainty, the likely failure. And we read the Gospels, 
And we know the end of the story. But so often, I forget the uncertainty the disciples faced. Each of our lives is like a gospel. It's like a book that's being written where Jesus is at work. We're in the middle of it. And we know the very end. The very end where things are going to be great. But so many of the smaller stories in the middle, we don't know how they end. And we see the uncertainty and we can get head faked into thinking that God won't work things out. I've gotten head faked in two ways lately. The first is thinking that uncertainty is a sign that God has left the building. And the second way I've been head faked is thinking that I have completely and always given my life away. Uncertainty, that first one, is often a head fake. It isn't the final word. Don't confuse uncertainty with the absence of God's presence. That's a head fake I fall for time and again. And sometimes I get head faked into thinking that I've given everything away for Jesus. Thinking that just, but I realize that just because I've given my life away once doesn't mean that today I'm totally giving it away. There have been times in my life when that has been the case. I think of when I was in college and I had two requirements for my major and my career. They were what would make me the most money and the most popular. Pretty simple. Giving those things up was not easy. But when I sought what God wanted and died to what I wanted, I found much more life than I would have with all the money. I surprisingly discovered the kind of life that I did not know existed. But let's fast forward to today, and I've realized I don't always fully give my life away. In some areas I do, but in others, I'm not. I found myself thinking lately, God, I'm giving my life away. When are you going to fulfill the rest of the things in this equation? When are you going to fulfill your promises? I'm doing my part. I've paid the price. Now give me what you said you would. And then I realized I was just using that as a bargaining chip with God. As Father Jonathan pointed out a couple weeks ago, you don't give a gift to someone and then say, okay, where's the good stuff for me? You don't give a gift and say, that will be $5. You give a gift without expecting anything in return. As long as I have this equation, and it doesn't simply read, give my life away to Jesus, I will always be using giving my life away to Jesus as just one more tool on the list to seek happiness. I need to get back to the place where I'm giving my life away just along for the ride where I lose myself in service to the kingdom, not expecting anything in return. I've got one last question for us this morning. When we realize that we have not died to ourselves, how do we identify those things we need to die to? Prayer 
and immersing ourselves in Jesus' teaching. Hopefully, as we immerse ourselves in his teaching, we'll begin to see things where our lives don't match up with the life he has for us. And at that point, we can take one of two paths. We can either take a detour around those things, or we can die to our desires and submit to his will. George Mueller's quote from before provides a good roadmap of things we might need to die to. I'll read it once more. There was a day when I died. Died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame even of brethren or friends. As we approach Holy Week, are there things that you and I need to bury and put in the grave? Jesus lays out this truth for us, that unless we die to ourselves, unless we give our lives away, we're just destroying our lives. We'll never find life. He also gives us the proof that this pattern of living works. In verses 23 and 24, he's speaking of his own upcoming death, the culmination of him giving his life away. And as he's hanging on the cross, nobody thought it would work. Nobody thought it would work. It was game over, case closed, end of story. But then, when they least expected it, there he was. There'll be times in life when we're taking tests and we turn it over and we see the star and we'll think, yes, I have this advantage and I need to keep it for myself and keep that advantage for myself. But if we can have the courage to give those things away, life will spring up when we don't expect it And in ways we don't expect. Let's take a few moments to individually and silently ask God what the areas might be in our lives, if any, that we need to die to. I have a hard time seeing them in my life. I don't know what they are in your life. But if we ask God with a sincere heart, he'll show us. So let's take a few moments and and ask him to reveal that to us. Father, we thank you for showing us the path of life. We pray that you would inscribe your kingdom economy onto our hearts and our minds and our will. We ask that you would show us the areas of our lives where we need to die and give them away to you. And we ask that you would give us the courage that we need to do this. We need your help. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.